this is a special Sunday. You may not be aware of this. This is Pentecost Sunday. The seventh Sunday after Easter Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. actually marks the day of the coming of the Holy Spirit, what many people consider the birthday of the church. And what's special about recognizing this is that believers all over the world treasure this from all different Christian traditions. So it's incredible that there's this one Sunday, hopefully it's not limited to that, but there's a Sunday where we're all united in focusing on this incredible truth that the Holy Spirit is a person who dwells in all those who believe, and that's my message today. I like to give, kind of, I like to spoil it all in the beginning because I don't want anyone to be confused about what my messages are about. I want everyone to have a takeaway. Everybody gets a gift, everybody gets a goodie. We're going to be talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in you. Now, this is something most of us understand. We understand that fact. We're like, okay, I get it. Like, He, he lives in me, but we're going to be focusing on what that means. In our lives, because there's something deeply practical and deeply powerful about the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us, literally making his home in us. And I will be sharing something that I hope will be challenging to you. And I think that it can be enriching not just for your mind, but your heart. We're going to be inviting the Holy Spirit to do work on our hearts because we all need him. And this is an incredible Sunday, so thank you for being here. You are all precious creations of God, and this is a huge honor. So thank you. Love seeing your eyes, your smiles. This is great. We love you, Jesus. We thank you that you gave us a manual in this life called the Bible that we can look at and we can learn about you. We have a pure source of truth And Holy Spirit, I ask and invite you to please bring extreme clarity during this time. That there would be no confusion about how incredible it is that you live in us. That there would be no confusion about what's available to us. That there would be no confusion about your heart to direct us in a way that brings us to life and brings other people to life. We pray, Lord, all distractions would just fall to the wayside and we would be wholly focused on you and on your gaze and your presence in this room. Holy Spirit, come and move in our hearts and speak to us. Lord Jesus, you have the words of life. As Heath preached last week, where else would we go? Where else would we go but into your arms? Make this a special time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be preaching out of Ezekiel chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the first 21 verses. We're going to look at a few other uh, quick little areas in Ezekiel too, but that's uh, that's the main bulk of it. I want to give you a challenge before I read it. Um, you are going to hear some weird things. Um, he is receiving a vision from God. It's extremely otherworldly. Um, and my challenge to you is not to just kind of shut down your mind and be like, this is weird. Um, but really try to picture this because this is a dynamic vision 
that Ezekiel gets, and there's a precious lesson, God bless you, not only for him, but for all of us today. So that's your warning. It does get pretty intense. Ezekiel chapter 1. In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Chabar Canal, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzai, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Chabar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it and fire flashing forth continually. And in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. And, they had, and the four had their faces and wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. And the four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. And their wings were spread out above. Each creature has two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. And each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit would go, they went without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures... Their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures darted to and fro, like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of beryl, and the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being, as it were, a wheel within a wheel. And when they went, they went in any of their four directions without turning as they went, and their rims were tall and awesome, and the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them, and when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went, and the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When, these went, when those went, these went. When those stood, these stood. And when those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels." So this <laughs> interesting chapter, interesting chapter. It gets even more interesting, but I'm going to have to summarize that part. Um, Ezekiel is with the exiles by the Chabar Canal, and this is 
one of the darkest times in Israel's history. They literally got kicked out of their land. They kept ignoring God, kept disobeying God. They literally got kicked out. They're like homeless. And they're in Babylon, and it's incredibly discouraging. And he's with them there, and all of a sudden, this massive vision is given to him. He sees this vision, and he sees a a stormy wind coming. There's a cloud. There's these creatures. The creatures look like people, but they have four faces, and they have four wings, and they have four hands, and they're just very interesting. They look like fire, and they're moving really fast, it says. They're darting to and fro like lightning. If you've ever seen lightning, it's like... There's an interesting note that Ezekiel has in this text that I find fascinating. I don't know how he knows this, but he said that the spirit was in the living creatures. Now, we don't know how he knew that. Maybe there was a glow in them. The Lord just gave him supernatural understanding. The spirit was in the creatures. Now, what else is interesting is the creatures aren't alone. They have like a little buddy next to them. They have a wheel next to them. And so the the picture that most biblical commentators kind of give this is that it's almost like this chariot where there are these four living creatures. Later on in the chapter, we hear about an expanse. He literally sees the throne of God, which he calls the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God, which is a mouthful. But he literally sees the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And it's like a chariot, these four unique creatures. All right, eagle face, right? Ox face, like weird stuff, weird stuff happening. And they have these wheels. And these wheels, you know, they're not like Goodyear, okay? There's a wheel within a wheel, okay? And the wheels have some bling, okay? They got eyes all around. So the wheels are like looking around. They got eyeballs all over them. There's a wheel within a wheel. And he makes an interesting observation about the wheels. And he repeats it. And when the scriptures repeat something, you know it's like super duper duper important. Verse 20 and verse 21, he observes that when the creatures would rise, the wheels would rise. And when the creature stood, the wheels stood. And he gives an explanation for this. There's a very clear explanation for this. He said, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. That's why the wheels did exactly what the creatures did. Because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. And then, that's in verse 20, and verse 21, he repeats that. He gives, you know, a further explanation. He says, when those rose, these, when these went, those went, when these stood, those stood, when these rose, those rose, because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Now, I'm not going to get into the imagery here. There's a lot of imagery. It would take a long time, and we're just not going to do that this morning. We're going to focus on this lesson that God repeats three times through this passage, if you average that, that's like once every seven verses that he's driving this point home, that this thing that he's seeing and these creatures, this incredible royal throne chariot, the spirit is in the living creatures and the living creatures, their spirit is in the wheels and the wheels are doing exactly what they're supposed to do complete fulfillment and by the way they're doing it really effectively because they're moving like lightning which is really fast right it's like super fast impressively fast 
So he has this lesson for Ezekiel. And something interesting happens. He sees, as I said earlier, the expanse, and he sees the throne. And the scripture says that Ezekiel fell on his face. This dude could not stand anymore, which makes sense because people see like one angel and they fall like dead men in the scriptures. And so he like saw like four of the, you know, sorry, Lord, but probably the weirdest creatures like ever. Right. And so he is he and he sees this throne, this expanse. He sees a glow around the throne and he falls on his face. And in chapter two, something really crazy happens, something really weird, something really weird. See, God doesn't just teach us stuff for the sake of teaching us stuff. He teaches us stuff because we really need it. He's like, here, let me teach you indwelling spirit 101. You need to understand what it means for a spirit to live in you. This is what it means. Oh, that's really interesting. He has no idea what's going to happen in chapter two. You might say, what happens in chapter two? Well, the one on the throne calls him and says, son of man, stand up. Verse two, this is so crazy. And he must have felt it because he knows it's happening. It says the spirit entered into Ezekiel. When I became saved, I didn't feel that. Okay, I know it because the scriptures say it. He knew that the Holy Spirit went into him. So God, three times, the first 21 verses of chapter 1, is teaching him, this is what it means for the Spirit to live in you. Oh, cool, interesting information. He's on his face, boom, the Spirit enters into him, brings him up, just like the wheels. He's like, up, boom. That's powerful. He literally, instantaneously, confirmed the word that he was teaching him. If my spirit lives in you, you will be empowered and enabled to do exactly what you're called to do. That's powerful. That's really powerful. One of the concerns that I have for myself, and I'm going to just speak for myself today, but one of the concerns I have for myself is that I'm constantly underestimating almost every aspect of God, underestimating his love, underestimating his power, underestimating his glory. And this is something I think that, at least for me, I have never really and truly understood as much as I need to. Because if I understood this, can you imagine what my marriage would look like? Which my marriage is amazing. But ima imagine what my marriage would look like if I understood that the spirit of the living God dwells in me. And that he enables me to do exactly what I'm supposed to do. How amazing would that be? How amazing would your work life be? If you understood in your heart, truly understood that the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God who moved upon the waters in Genesis chapter one, super powerful, super glorious. If you understood that he dwells in you and that dwelling in you is not a Sunday school fact. It's the oh, my goodness, my life has changed fact. 
Imagine what your neighbors would learn about the Lord if we lived life with the understanding that there is true power constantly living in us. What if we understood what was available to us at any given moment? I love studying um, First and Second Timothy because I'm super young and super inexperienced, and I'm in the ministry. And I feel when I read First and Second Timothy, like Paul himself is sitting me down and saying, "Hey, my little bearded friend, like let me let me teach you about ministry." And so I love it. So I am obsessed with it. Um, it's very very important to me. And there's something interesting that occurs in First and Second Timothy, and he tells Timothy to guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And in 2 Timothy 1.14, he said, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. He gives no confidence at all in Timothy's ability to do it on your own. Squat. He knew Timothy really well. He mentored Timothy. We don't know all of Timothy's flaws. Trust me, he had some problemas. Okay, he had some flaws. He's a person. And Paul tells him, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. What if we applied that to every area of life and understood by faith that God really does want you to live an abundant life by his spirit. And he really does want you to be the father that you need to be and the mother you need to be and the son you need to be and the daughter you need to be and literally like the coworker you need to be and the neighbor you need to be. What if we understood this Pentecost Sunday, what we really have access to, that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us and by him and by his power, We can live life like no one else, and we can make a true impact on every single sphere of influence that we have. If we could all get that, this church would be like nutsy. It would be amazing, right? Your workplace would shift. Some of you are praying for breakthrough. This is your breakthrough, Because God can do it way better than you can. He can do it way better than you can. What if this is the freedom that you've needed? What if you've been in bondage and there's this all-powerful God living inside of you that can give you that breakthrough? I'm not saying it will happen instantaneously. But what if we lived with that expectation where we say, wait a second. All right, so the word says the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And in my life, I've been stuck in this one area where I haven't been growing. I've been doing a terrible job. I've tried self-help. I've tried really cheering myself on. And hooray! And I've watched all the YouTube videos. And it's just not working out. What if we believed what was in Ezekiel 1 and we prayed that way and we say, your spirit dwells in me. Just like your spirit, the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels, and the wheels did exactly what they were supposed to do. 
And if, if the reason for that is because the Spirit is dwelling in them, then that means the Spirit is dwelling in me, which means I have every resource for life and glory already deposited in me right now. How powerful would that be? Wow. That would be incredible. But there's a problem. The tendency that we have is to be so proud that many of us, we don't even ask for help. Our, like, ship is sinking, and we don't even ask him for help. Just like, well, maybe I'll, like, read this book. Maybe I'll, like, talk to this person. Maybe I'll do this. And, like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work out. And we have, like, this pride complex when God is like, I want I want to dispense life now. I, I hate the darkness. I came to dispel the darkness and to bring life. Woo! Hot dog. I've been bumping that the whole time. You've been watching. It's going to happen. It's bound to, are you going to move it? I love you, Heath. I love you, Heath. It would be. Nobody's recording this visually, though, so it wouldn't. Wouldn't be that fun. Um, the text I want to kind of cap this off with is James 4, 6. It says, but he, that is God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud. You might already know this verse. God appro- opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What does humility look like? What does it mean to be humble? It means literally saying, God, help. Help. I need help with this. I need help. I don't have it all figured out. I could watch every YouTube video ever created and I will not figure it out. I could try to whip it up. I could motivate myself. I could speak to this mentor and this mentor and this person and this person. There's nothing wrong with any of that, by the way. But there is something wrong with us feeling like we can figure it out. And what if we had the humility to say, in this area of my life, I need to be just like those wheels. And this, I'm sick of this area of my life being in disorder, being in disarray. I'm sick of it being dysfunctional. I'm ready for life to break through in this area. How cool would that be? How amazing would that be? My challenge to you today is that there is far more power in the indwelling spirit than any of us understand. And if you will today humble yourself and say, God, in this area, I 100%, you know, we need him in every area. But think of one uh, thorn in your flesh, right? Think of one thing and say, I can't do it on my own. It's impossible. And the world would say, you're giving up. You're giving up. Play Tony Robbins. You're giving up. You're tapping out. That isn't cool. It's like, no. 
You're in the game when you have humility. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I love the first part of that verse. It says he's giving more and more grace. God loves giving grace. He loves it. And we need truckloads of grace in our lives. Could I uh, have the worship team come forward? So here's the deal. I can't... (laughs) I gave my spiel. I can't do anything else. But what's really cool is this powerful spirit that I've been talking about. He moves on people's hearts and minds. And I know that because he moved on my heart and my mind. And so right now, I'm just going to pray that the Lord would confirm his word. And that right now in your heart, that he would show you some area in your life where you really need the Holy Spirit's help. That by the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, you need to see order and life and restoration and peace and joy and all that other awesome stuff. And I would really challenge you, like, (laughs) this is the moment. This is the moment. I went years in church at the end of a message just bowing my head and closing my eyes and doing nothing and just waiting for the annoying preacher to finally get off the stage so I could go to the car, so I could finally go home and be done with it. I lived years in that. Take this seriously. He wants to help you. He wants to help. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit who comes to live in us. And we're not alone. You empower us to do what we're not able to do on our own. We're like these wheels. And you tell us to rise and we rise and you empower us. And Lord, just as you did to Ezekiel, Lord, you're teaching us today that there's way more power available to us than we understand. And you are so powerful, God, that even if there are hearts in this room right now that aren't really open to you, you could open those hearts up. And so we're asking right now that addictions be broken in the precious, powerful name of Jesus Christ. I pray that fears would be broken in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, you dwell in all those who have saving faith, and we invite your confirming power to move in our hearts. I pray for marriages right now in Jesus' name. I pray for job situations, financial situations. I pray for families. I pray for workplaces. I pray for schooling. I pray that any area where we feel like we are so weak that we would understand that that's when Holy Spirit power kicks in. And that's when we have life. And so we pray right now all over this room. Move, Lord. Change our hearts. Change our minds. Come and invade in a way only you can so that we can experience the life, the joy, and the peace that's available to every single believer in Jesus. Confirm your word, we pray, in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.